Truly Fit Podcast Best of 2022. Our top 8 episodes replayed in December to get you ready for 2023. Welcome to Truly Fit, the online fitness marketplace connecting pros and clients through unique fitness business software. Welcome to the Truly Fit Podcast, where we interview experts in fitness and health to expand our wisdom and wealth. I am your host, Steve Washuda, co-founder of Truly Fit and author of Fitness Business 101. On today's episode, I speak with Rocky Snyder. You can find Rocky at Rocky underscore Snyder on Instagram. He is a strength and conditioning coach. He is an author, including a book called Return to Center, which is partially what we touch on today, talking about postural alignment and how we use uh, traditional exercises or maybe even uh, new sources of information to make sure that our clients are in proper positioning and how important that is for the body long-term and, and to meet our clients' goals. Rocky and I talk about a lot of things concerning the fitness realm and industry, but I would say to sum it up in a macro approach, we really talk about why we believe to traditional or conventional wisdom concerning strength training doesn't always in- integrate into what we need for our clients, especially in today's age. And a lot of information we need to ask ourselves, why are we doing this? Where did this information come from? There is a lot of 70s and 80s, 90s kind of uh, exercise prescriptions, for lack of a better term, that we're using now with our clients that are antiquated. And uh, based upon our clients' goals, we may need to reassess how we're doing things. And Rocky goes over exactly how he does that with his clients and how he uses assessments to help his clients get to their goals. It was a great conversation. Obviously, Rocky is just the utmost professional in the industry and does things the right way. So uh, we see eye to eye in a lot of things. And I can't wait to have Rocky on again down the road. With no further ado, here's Rocky Snyder. Rocky, thanks for joining the Truly Fit Podcast. We talked a little bit on the front end here, but why don't you give the listeners and the audience a background, a bio on who you are, your credentials in the industry, and what exactly you do in health and fitness? Uh, Basically, I am a gym rat, and I I have been that way since my teenage years. I used to think that working out was boring until somebody actually put me under their wing, and then I discovered that I really like learning all about movement in the body, and I've been pursuing that for the last 30 years as a strength conditioning specialist in Santa Cruz, California. I've written a few books, conditioning books, perhaps on adventure sports, but also wrote one that is kind of a culmination over the period of time that I've been studying all about how to bring the body back into alignment and how do we use conventional exercise to do so. And that book's called Return to Center. Um, And then like yourself, uh, I like doing podcasts. I've got a couple, one called The Rock Fit Files, and the other one is Zealous, Z-E-L-O-S, where I interview colleagues that are the coaches in the professional sports world, strength coaches, PTs, athletic trainers, and the like. And uh, I just, I love it. On the outside, I love surfing and snowboarding. So I'm strategically placed on the central coast of California, where Santa Cruz is the mecca for a lot of surfers. And within a few hours ride, I'm up in Tahoe or the Sierras, carving some turns on bigger mountains than what uh, rolls through the ocean here. But that's and that's it in a nutshell. (laughs) Tell me a little bit more about the podcast, Rocky. Did you pick that because you felt like there wasn't a podcast currently doing that sort of thing? Was it just a a driver because you enjoyed it? How exactly did you come about that? Yeah, Steve, you know, I I started with this one called the Rockfit Files. And perhaps some listeners are old enough to remember James Garner in this television show in the late 70s called the Rockford Files. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of like a little spinoff of that, uh, at least in the intro. But I was just doing health and fitness. and, And then as time went on, some of my guests were more in the sports industry. And I thought, well, that'd be cool. I've got a whole bunch of connections within the NFL and Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL and the like. But I should just tap into that. But I don't want it to be the Rockfit file. So Zealous is one of those winged gods. I think it's like a sister or brother of Nike. And and instead of the the winged god of victory, it's the winged god of competition, hence the name Zealous. And, And then I just started pursuing all of these friends and colleagues within the world of professional sports. And, and I found out, yeah, this, this is great there. I don't think there is a podcast that is really actually interviewing or talking to the, 
people that are behind the scenes, you're always talking to the head coaches and the athletes themselves, uh, but not necessarily the strength coaches. And there's a lot of aspiring young fitness professionals that really have the stars in their eyes when they think about where they want to go and the direction they want to take. So I thought, well, this would be nice to understand where these people came from and how they got into the positions that they're in, but also what are they doing with some of the most elite athletes on the planet? And it's, it's turned into a wonderful a series and and it's a labor of love and and I truly enjoy it like like this podcast here I can tell you know you've definitely got some energy in this and and it's it's great to in an honor to truly be part of it well, that's super interesting you know I I don't uh train athletes it's just something I've I've never really done it's not like I won't train an, an 18 year old who's playing football but I I never worked with an elite athlete I've always found myself working with seniors and general population. And that's what I enjoy, especially seniors who, who have a lot of medical issues. I'm working around those, finding modifications. It's just what I fell in love with. But do you see, when you're interviewing all these professionals, do you, Rocky, see an overlap in either their training styles or, or maybe their success stories? Yeah, there is an underlying theme for sure. And that is to volunteer for everything and anything, try and get internships and and you just put in the hours and work your way up the ladder. At least that's what the, the athletic trainers and the strength coaches in most of those professional sports teams are having to do to get up to those ranks. But I got to say where we are very similar, I don't necessarily train a lot of the high level athletes. I have in the past and from time to time, they do come in and see me because of the particular work that I do with biomechanics and whatnot. But the majority of people that I see are seniors or those that are the general population like yourself. We have had contracts with a local hospital where we've taught senior strength conditioning through the hospital, as well as working with people living with Parkinson's disease, stroke recovery, cardiac rehab. Uh, we've got a really wonderful kind of networking with our local orthopedic surgeons, and they send people our way prior to the thought of them having to go under the knife. So it's it's a romantic idea to train Olympians, right? And yeah. and to be the trainer of Michael Jordan or or LeBron James or whomever. Uh, but it's it's one of those things that where I live in California, we are far enough away from the the large cities where the sports are that I gave up on that kind of pursuit a long time ago because I found that getting someone who can barely walk through the door and working with them for about an hour and having them almost skipping out, that is, that's a powerful thing that you've just given the gift of, of movement to somebody. And it doesn't have to be that they're trying for, for this year's gold in the Winter Olympics uh, because they, they're living their own world and you just opened up, uh, you've given them a key to the jail cell that unfortunately they were living in. And now they have this sense of freedom that the, the world's their oyster. And to be a guide in that, man, I couldn't have asked for anything better. Yeah, I don't know what it feels like to train an Olympic athlete, but I feel like I'm just as happy getting my 81-year-old client down on the ground to train, excuse me, to play with their grandchildren and back up if that's their goal. And I think we need more people who are willing to do those sorts of things. I think it's harder doing what you're doing, what we tend to do with the general population. It's easy to train the pros because of the compliance level. They buy into what you're doing and they put their faith in you. They're going to do everything you say, but that's their career. That's their job. So they better well do that compared to somebody that's in the general population or that's in the, the third stage of their life. And they want that longevity to play with their grandkids on the floor and so on. They have a lot of things going on in their world and they're not being paid to play. So Oftentimes, things take priority that probably should be lower on the totem pole uh, than, than what they really should be focusing on. So how do you get them to do the things, to encourage them to do the things you know they need to do in order to get the happiness that they seek? That's a lot harder. The, the, what you're doing is, is, is five to 10 times harder than working with, with any of the pros. Well, I appreciate that. Having not really worked with many of them, we assume... The other side sometimes is harder, but uh, it does make sense. You're right. The, the compliance level, I never really thought about it. You have people who are, who are already bought in, who are willing to give it all up for that one goal. Meanwhile, when you're dealing with general population, 
you have to understand that their lives are centered around work and family and all of these other things. And a lot of times, unfortunately, health be, is a secondary thing we have to coach into them, for lack of a better term. Exactly. I just wanted to add one point to what you said earlier, because I don't think I've ever had a podcast where I don't talk about networking. But uh, when you mentioned the kind of the underlying theme between all the successes in the, in the coaches and the trainers that you're talking to, the high level people working with athletes, is that they're going for all these internships and they're taking on all these um, free accounts and whatever they have to do to climb the ladder. And I think a, a part of that that people sometimes don't understand or they can't see the future is that you don't know who is your golden ticket and what one of those people you've met starts to climb the ladder. Maybe you don't. Maybe you're stuck in a place and it's seven years and you haven't really grown, even though you're good, you just have bad luck, haven't gotten discovered, whatever. But that friend who really appreciates you and trusts you, and maybe your knowledge, let's say, is in golf fitness and his is in some other sort of fitness, ends up being some you know high-level CEO of a company, and he's looking for a golf fitness guy to help out all of his people. And, and there's your golden ticket. So I think it's uh, people have to understand it's not just of course, it's a knowledge thing. You're learning from all of these other people when you meet and take on these free jobs and do this, but it's also a long-term sort of networking growth opportunity. Correct. I couldn't agree more. I mean, and and they may be quite blatant where you're going to get your clients or, or get your business from. And then there's other times where it's completely obscure. One example would be uh, a fellow who owned a vitamin store in, in our area was plagued with knee pain. Mm-hmm. He came in and and what I noticed was that his the movement around his hips was extremely limited, which would make the knees have to work that much harder. So he came in, I gave him just a couple of movements to start to encourage the hips to move a little bit more freely. And instantly his knee pain was gone. And this is a common kind of a story that you might hear. And so I didn't really think much of it because it is kind of common. Somebody comes in with knee pain. I look to the ankles and the feet and the hips and see what's going on there. They walk out most of the time feeling better just because you get the body moving. So uh, fast forward, I start getting all of these referrals. People keep coming in and saying, yeah, Jack told me to come see you. Well, little did I know, a lot of people that are going into the vitamin store, of course, they're going in for pain relief. And so he's seeing a whole bunch of people going in there for vitamins and and pain relievers and, and homeopathic solutions and so on. And he had a stack of my business cards that he took that day he left. And he, every now and then he would call me up and say, you know what, I need another stack of business cards. I'm all out again. And just for that one time, it, it just, you never know that one little thing makes a difference and, and it just, it blew up. In fact, to this day, I still get clients because of that time 10 years ago or whenever it was. That's a great story. And I feel like Rocky, most trainers will have a similar story along their path of success, right? Some, something happened. There was some sort of trigger for me. It was the, one of the, I filled in for a TRX suspension training class. Somebody last second, one of the ladies in there happened to own like a big hairdress shop. Um, and you know, if you're doing hair, nobody talks more, uh, than the people who are sitting down doing hair together. So, you know, before you know it, I did a good job. She passed all my cards out. And that was sort of like, you know, the, the spark, the igniter, the catalyst to how I grew my career. And again, I'm sure a lot of trainers have those sorts of stories, but it's all about being able to be willing to step in to that and take over that class or to step in on, uh, or run a free assessment in a park so that you're getting to meet 20 or 30 people. And one of those people decide that, you know, you're the guy they want to hand their business card out to everybody. Yeah. In fact, my studio where it's located, our neighboring business in the same building here is a hair salon. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, to any burgeoning fitness entrepreneur who's looking to open up their own studio, you couldn't do better than positioning yourself right beside a busy hair salon. Because like you say, people talk, they start to see it and it, it will trickle in eventually. It it may take a a few months or a year, but people start watching. I understand where I was located. I had some great visibility in terms of drive-by traffic. And it turned out on average, it took two years for people to drive by on a regular basis to the point where they just finally said, you know what, I got to stop in there. Hmm. Two years of driving by on a daily basis. So it takes what it takes, Uh, but you can position yourself quite well in the world of fitness, to be successful, depending upon who you surround yourself with. 
Yeah. And, you know, we, we have a lot of other things to talk about here, but it's, it's hard not to uh, continue down this rabbit hole a bit. I, you know, I always, <laughs> I always preach to everybody, whoever comes on, whether they're in nutrition or fitness or health or some sort of related field that the future of this is to really have people uh, not have these scalable programs, but rather have, you know, a smaller set of clients they really care about and are doing a really good job with because they're becoming, unfortunately, the barrier to entry is very easy now in the fitness industry. And that's another whole conversation. And, and uh, I, I think, you know, the, everyone wants to scale and they're just thinking about numbers, right? How many followers do I have? How many people can I reach? How, what, what is one easy blanket program I can send to thousands of people instead of saying, you know, how can I really help eight people. And those eight people will be with me forever because of what I did for them. And, and that's really how you grow your business. Yeah. It is about relationships and, and creating really long lasting ones. I agree. So let's get into the topic I had you on to uh, discuss thoroughly today. And that is talking about traditional and conventional wisdom in strength training. Can you maybe just give a, a brief definition of what people consider to be uh, conventional wisdom uh, concerning strength training or, or major issues or in the industry that you see? Yeah, some of the things that have been promoted to us over the years are you want to walk, work on the major muscle groups of the body and working from the larger muscle groups down to the smaller groups. And typically you would find a program that is focusing on certain areas of the body on one day while the next day you're focusing on different areas. And they're often broken up in terms of major muscle groups, like this is my chest shoulder day, this is my leg and arm day, this is my back and, and ab day, or whatever the case may be. But uh, that, that's, that's one of those things. And also it's just strength in itself that in order for us to get bigger muscles, we need to lift heavier and heavier weights. So it's all about just how much can I lift? How much can I pick up and put back down again? And those are the, those I would say are on the top of the pyramid when it comes to conventional or traditional thought when it comes to strength training. Yeah, you may not agree with this one. I don't know, but I think a third might be, you know, no pain, no gain, which I don't necessarily agree with. I mean, I, if it's from a sort of a, a macro perspective, meaning like no pain, as in like you need to put in effort, then I agree with it. But if it's actual pain, I don't agree that you need pain to get gains. No, in fact, a mentor of mine by the name of Gary Gray has often said that he wants the body to sing and not scream. And I think that's a, a great kind of motto to live by. You want the body to feel alive, vibrant, and, and feel like it wants to move. You don't want the person to finish a workout and feel like they have to bend over double in the bushes and experience it just let that morning's breakfast go out their mouth or, or they have to go and lay down on a couch for several hours or go take a nap. That's not really, I mean, you got to really check in with what the true goals are. If that's kind of your mentality. Yeah. The no pain, no gain goes along with that whole thing. Uh, it, getting the point. It, it's interesting too, Steve, because we are now in a society that is more sedentary than any in history and so in order to offset that with weight gain and everything else that comes along with a sedentary lifestyle, suddenly we're seeing high intensity programs up, up the mountaintop. I mean, it is just all over. You're looking at, you know, we had the P90X and we had the, the insanity workouts, but, and then CrossFit, of course, started out in 2000 for the last 20 years. There's been that push. And then the Spartan races, as fun as they can be, the Tough Mudders, all of these are truly intense, highly intense programs for a nation that is becoming less and less active, which really you wonder, what is that recipe? And that's really a recipe for disaster in my head, because that's like taking an old beat up VW bug and throw in a Formula One race at car engine under the hood. And let's just see what this puppy can do. And sure, it may be able to go fast and go around the lap, uh, around the track for so many laps, but eventually that chassis is going to start to break down and, and things are going to fall off that poor thing. And I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing a lot of non-impact or non-contact injuries, not just in sports, but just in general. How many people are in the gym who have these neoprene sleeves over their elbows, over their knees, are wrapping something around their body because they've got some pain? Most people are walking in pain 
or being in pain, and they don't realize that their programs that they're doing at their gym are probably exacerbating their situation. Yeah, and I mean, I would I would add that I, I believe that is um, what I would call naivety on their part and really not their fault all the time, right? It's the people who are pushing these other programs to them. Like, for example, anecdotal experience here, my sister's 39, and she probably needs a knee replacement sooner rather than later. She's not overweight by any means, but she had probably not worked out at all in her 20s and in her 30s, just jumped into insanity and was probably doing it twice a day. And it's a lot of impact. And Mm -hmm. she certainly had muscle imbalances leading into it, having not worked out prior to jumping into it. And and I know that's what led to her her knee problems moving forward. And I, I don't think that she is too far from the general public who also, like you're talking about, fell into the same trap where they thought, okay, let me go from zero to 60 here. Let me go from not doing anything to pushing my body beyond its limits because I can lose a lot of weight, not thinking, well, you know, there's, there's a trade-off here. You might be losing a lot of weight, but you're also doing long-term damage by not looking at the, the whole body. Yeah, I mean, exercise in general, strength training, and you can throw in those other programs you mentioned, that's a repetitive stress, right? A repetitive stress on the body. We even count repetitions, how many reps, how many sets, what's my volume of work? When really, we, if we were to just step back and look at that for what it is, is it no wonder that we're seeing repetitive stress syndromes that are popping up? Somebody's got elbow tendonitis, tennis or golfers. Somebody's got rotator cuff issues or a labral tear. Somebody's got some runner's knee or patellofemoral syndrome or, or hip bursitis or sciatica, low back pain. Uh, inversion sprains, all of these things can be attributed often to the repetitive stress that continues on uh, when we're talking about fitness. And of course, you know, the natural inclination for somebody who feels good when they're doing something is to do it more and not to necessarily change it because why change it when it's working and making me feel better. But you, you get it. Any guy in the gym, and, and woman for that matter, you ask them what's in their program, and there's almost always going to be, in terms of strength training, there's going to be easily two or three exercises that, that they're always going to mention. And I'll throw that out to you. What do you think those are? Uh, bench press, back squat, deadlift. There you go. Yeah, those are the power lifting competition lifts, right? So that's where our exercise world has come from. It's come from bodybuilding, which is all about isolating the body for aesthetic purposes, for looking better naked in the mirror, and powerlifting, which is how much can I lift and put down again compared to somebody beside me? And that's really, you can throw in Olympic weightlifting, I guess, into that too. That is the fundamental foundation for the Western traditional workout. And none of that is about bringing the body into a balanced state, improving alignment, improving joint function. It, it is something that if it is there, is very secondary or somewhere down the scale. It, the primary purpose for today's workouts in the gym are, can I look better and can I have bigger muscles? Can I produce more force any means possible? Yeah, I mean, ask Ronnie Coleman how he feels today. Uh, I, yeah. think he's, I think he's had eight spinal fusions uh, and, uh, and he's, he's a mess, right? And, and all, all of these bodybuilders and Olympic lifters, if you look at them in their 60s and 70s, if they make it there, most of them don't, are in horrific shape because the body's not meant for that, certainly not at all ages. I'm, I, again, I don't specialize in this. I could maybe foresee why a 19-year-old athlete would do some of these things if it pertained to his or her sport, maybe. I, I would argue that there's other ways to train them. But uh, again, the gym goers who are naive, who think that the antiquated Arnold Schwarzenegger way of moving in one plane of motion to build my muscle and shorten my muscle only is, uh, um, again, that they, they're going to learn a lot when they're, unfortunately, the wrong way 40 years from now when they're in pain. Well, that's just it. It takes a while for most people to experience the, uh, the errors of their youth, maybe we'll say that, or the, the actions of, of their youth. And, and I'm no exception to that. I did a lot of those exercises growing up in the 80s and 90s before functional fitness started rearing its head a little bit. There was a lot of machine-based exercises in the health club, which many clubs still have upholstered machines where you can comfortably sit and do movements that you actually will never do in a regular day. But 
for some reason, we're told that this is what we need to do. So there needs to be a re-education. There needs to be a little bit more um, exposure to what it is that true fitness really is and, and what it means to have a fit body that is able to do what you would like for a long time to come. And when you say re-education, do you, you mean, I'm not putting words in your mouth, I'm asking, do you mean specifically for the fitness professionals as opposed to the general population, like explaining maybe through the National Academy of Sports Medicine or these certifications that, hey, we need to focus on whole body approach and maybe not just doing, uh, you know, movements in the frontal and sagittal plane and that sort of thing? Or do you mean we need to really educate the entire general population to this? I think a smattering of both would be appropriate. Already the NSCA, NASM, IDEA World Conventions have a lot of that information out there, multi-planar, triplanar movements, and what is imp- what's really important. Um, but it takes a while to filter down into the certified professionals that may not go to the conferences, that get certified, and they do little Uh, continuing education, things around their neighborhood. And now with a whole bunch of information on the internet, it's, it's kind of dangerous because there's a whole bunch of information on the internet. Some of it is really accurate and worth its weight in gold. And the other stuff is uh, put out by fly-by-nighters who are still living in the past with uh, just fitness competitors or, I mean, it's, it's great. When you're in your twenties, you should be um, looking for your soulmate. I mean, that's it. I mean, from teens to mid thirties, you are going to be training because you want to go down to the beach and, and find Mr. Goodbar, Mrs. Wright, or whoever you want to call. So yeah. I can see that. But after a while, you know, you, you find your soulmate, hopefully you, you create a family or whatever path you want to be on. Your career is off and running and, and those times that you play and, and the amount of sports you do is probably limiting and your body's going to start to feel the effects of these changes. Uh, doing the same program that you were doing in your teen years and 20s probably isn't something you should be doing in your 40s. So yeah, the re-education for the general population would be wonderful. It takes a little time, but the nice thing is, Steve, is that we already have certain types of movement practices that have, have the fundamental philosophy of bringing the body back into balance in our culture already. And it's integrated in from Eastern philosophies. Like we've got Tai Chi now, we've got yoga and traditional yoga. I'm not talking California fusion yoga where you, you have to balance on top of a goat or something. I'm, I'm talking like Hatha or Iyengar, these traditional approaches to yoga where it is all about aligning your body and whether or not you get caught up with calling it chakras, energy meridians, or just your body. It doesn't really matter. You're just trying to bring your body back into balance. There's martial arts. There is chiropractic medicine. All of these things all have that same fundamental center in which we bring the body back into that place of balance and things start working better. Now we just have to find a way to have the traditional approach to strength training, the Western approach, start to take on more of that and more of those attributes, more of that philosophy. And that's, that's kind of, you know, I don't want to stand on a, a pulpit or anything or a soapbox, but that's kind of what I'm trying to get out there is that we really need to rethink how we are working out and, and what we really need from one individual to another, because it's going to be different. What you need is different from what I need. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And I'll, I explain it a lot to my clients and the general population, much like finances. You're trying to save money, right? And be more conservative when you're 40, 50, 60, 70. So you have that money. Well, you, know, you also have to look at your body. You don't want to have the most amount of money when you're the least capable of using it. If you're decrepit, you have to make sure your body is also holding up. So treat your body like you would your finances in a sense where we have to also worry about long-term. And part of that is different, different movements, different modalities. I teach reformer Pilates. I don't currently, because I just have too many projects going on, but I'm trained in it. I taught it for years. And I found that uh, men over the age of 40 loved it because it was such a new modality, especially I work with like a lot of golfers and they Mm. were able to stay strong, focus on their core, focus on engaging muscles. And, and it, it was different. It wasn't just, you know, picking up a bar and dropping it on the ground. And uh, I think, you know, as, as we get older, we need to learn the new modalities and focus more on movement and less on weight. Yes. Yeah. The, the thing that a lot of people 
don't understand, and it's almost like witchcraft when you explain it to them, is that the brain is always the governing wire when it comes to how strong you are, because the brain controls the muscles, and the brain is going to protect the body the best it can. So if the brain is encourage is interpreting that the body is not in the best position to exert a lot of force, it will not allow the muscles to exert a lot of force. The better we get into a more balanced place, the more likely the brain is going to say, oh, we can actually produce more force in the muscles that we have. So then if that's the case, which it is, it's called an arthrokinetic reflex. Hmm. And it's part of our autonomic nervous system where the brain is always fluctuating how much force the muscles can generate based on any given moment. So if that's the case, then we got to wonder, well, what is strength? Is it really just how big our muscles are? Or is it the efficiency of our brain to send proper messages to the muscles? So I, in essence, can take somebody and give them a few movements that bring up their strength levels in real time, like as fast as nerves travel. It doesn't take weeks and weeks to hypertrophy the muscle, meaning growing the fiber size to make the muscles bigger. That is just the, that is the, the priority in most strength cultures now is we need to get hypertrophy in the muscles. When that is just one part of how the body can get strong. What if we started to increase the ability of the brain to, to upload or upregulate force within the body when it's appropriate. And so now we've got two ways that we can train, not only lifting heavy things, but actually drawing the body into a place where it can produce more force with what it already has. Rocky, can you walk me through maybe uh, uh, your client experience? So a client comes to you, uh, maybe they're in their, I don't know, mid forties, early fifties, and they're just general population. They have uh, issues, maybe arthritis, low back pain. They don't really work out. Do you do like an initial assessment? How, how do you go about this process? Yes, I do initial and continual assessments. In fact, everything they do, I am assessing. Every movement that they do, I'm assessing. But initially when they come in, there's a couple of things that everybody should be able to do. And one is for the most part, for those that can stand, I want to see how a person stands in the presence of gravity, meaning what is their posture doing? Because that brain that we just spoke about, it's also trying to balance over the two feet that the body is standing on. And there's many ways that the segments of the body will balance on top of each other, kind of like a, uh, like that game Jenga or a stack of cups right? We, we have these ways in which if a person's hips are tilted in one direction, what is the rest of the body having to go through in order to stay balanced over the feet? If the head is tilted slightly to the side from answering the phone all day at the office, how does that affect the spine and the hips and the shoulder and the elbow? So I really want to know in three-dimensional space what that person's posture is doing, because as soon as they, as soon as I know where their resting posture is, that tells me what muscles are being lengthened that need to be a little bit more shortened to bring it back to balance, which muscles are shorter than they need to be that need to be lengthened in order to bring the body back into a balanced state. It also gives me an idea of most likely how they're going to start moving. So there is gait pattern that we begin to look at. And it's been something that the human body has been doing for roughly 2 million years. And over that course of time, there's a certain pattern that every bone should do. Every joint should move in three-dimensional space. And if you can understand what that is all about, then you can even go deeper into what the body is trying to tell you. So I do a posture and gait analysis. And then that tells me exactly what muscles need to be lengthened, which ones need to be shortened, what body parts need to go left, which ones need to go right. And their body is going to actually give me the information to design the program. And it's not an arbitrary program that a lot of certified professionals are going to do where we go, okay, well, uh, here's a 40-year-old male who is 21% uh, body fat. He's got a repetition maximum on the bench press of 165 pounds, and he can squat 185. Like that honestly doesn't tell me anything. I want to know where their structure is, what their brain is trying to do, and how they move through space. I mean, that is the ultimate essential that I need 
in order to know, okay, well, this person actually needs uh, lunging on his left leg much more than his right leg, needs to be doing some pressing overhead with his right arm much more than his left arm. Uh, we'll need to do some rotation, a little bit more biased rotation of the rib cage to the right. So I need movements that are going to encourage that more so than the left. And as soon as we start to do these kind of patterns, it's a personalized program to bring the body back into a more centrated place and a much more stronger position. So that's kind of the process that we follow. I think that's a fantastic approach. And I love the little tidbit you said about them, like leaning on one ear, maybe talking on the phone. I think there's so many day-to-day things that are important as uh, personal trainers, fitness professionals, health professionals. We make sure we understand what our clients are going through on a day-to-day basis, because those are the things causing the problems. They think it's the 35 minutes they spent at the gym the other day where they might've uh, yanked something doing a, you know, a low row. Typically it's because they have a 110 pound dog they've been walking, who's been yanking on their shoulder. And, you know, now they have AC joint issues. So make sure you know what your client is doing from a day to day, because they'll, they'll never blame it on the day to day. And this comes back to why it is so much more challenging to train those in the general population and those in the the senior class, shall we say, because they are not the regimented athletes who have a certain diet that they follow, a certain behavior, they follow certain movements. Those that these vary quite a bit in the general population from having to take a day off from work because they were sick or they had to take their kids to school or uh, they were at the desk because a project had to be done. There was a deadline to be met. So they worked all day through without moving their bodies. You know, that's why periodizing programs, meaning setting up a six week or eight week program and expecting nothing to change in that period as they follow this path is very difficult. In fact, we do not do that. That's why we meet people where they are when they walk through the door and every movement they do is an assessment and it'll guide us to the next assessment. It's, it's a lot more involving than just simply coming up with this cookie cutter recipe that here you go, you're, you're 165 pounds, 29 year old, you're gonna do this six week program. And for the most part, it can be very effective, but you're also gonna be, like you say, reinforcing compensatory patterns, which are gonna bring about even more imbalances. And 10 years down the road, they're gonna start really feeling that neck bothering them or that right shoulder that was just kind of talking is, is now really worn down and and somebody's talking about going in and, and getting some surgery done. So um, yeah, I ramble on, I apologize, but no, that's kind of no. go awesome. off on tangents. That's great. And uh, a lot, of, a lot of things uh, sparked my mind when you were talking there. And uh, what, what I want to ask, cause you know, we've talked so much about weights. I want to ask about sort of like equipment because we haven't really brought equipment up. Uh, hypothetically, could you get rid of weights? Could, could I just give you a cable machine in bands and you complete all of the goals you need to for your client? And if that's the case, should we be using less weights? Barbells, uh, barbells and dumbbells by, by yeah. weight. I would pose that question to an Olympic gymnast. You know, they, they don't hit the weight room. They, they, gymnastics, it's, that's how fitness began in the 1800s. And we had a few cable systems on the wall and the gymnasiums, but for the most part, there were parallel bars, a vaulting horse, a pummel horse, moving rings, climbing ladders, climbing ropes, inversion table, all these things that were truly all about the education of the physical form. Nowadays, yeah, we took the bodybuilder approach and we just, we injected the culture with steroids when it came to the concept of strength training with bodybuilding. I do not use a whole bunch of weights. I use resistance bands. I use foam rollers. I use medicine balls. I do like playing with, uh, with Indian clubs and kettlebells. Mm-hmm. And from, it's not to say that I don't do traditional lifts, but there's got to be a reason for it. I'm not just going to do it because I need to fill up time in a person's training program or... There's got to be some reason for it. I want to see, can they move properly with the least amount of restriction? And then can they do that under load? And for the most part, I think we, in our culture, in our fitness industry, actually apply load faster than we really should, especially because our society, every passing month, every passing year is getting less and less structurally sound. It's, It's becoming disintegrated. The more we have our smartphones, the more technology advances, 
you know, here in the Santa Cruz mountains, they just came out with uh, a car that is kind of like a drone that can also take off and fly. And now we're going to have personal flying devices somewhere down the road. And the, the need for traveling on both feet is going to be less and less. We've got one wheels, we got hovercrafts, we got segways. I mean, it's just remarkable how little you actually have to move your body in today's world. And so the fitness industry, I don't think we are taking that into consideration very well when it comes to program design. We're still living back in the 70s and 80s with the programs there and not taking into consideration the fact that every year somebody's going to come in with less and less proper posture, weaker frame. Yeah. I think it's important too, like you're doing, is to question these things, right? Like, why are we doing these movements? Oh, because they did it in 1965 and we just, we were taught it in gym class and then that's the only movements we know. And, and that has to continue in the industry because I'm sure there are things that I did wrong at some point or maybe that I'm still doing wrong and I'll figure them out and I'll do them differently, but we have to question them. That's the only way we'll get there. Even, you know, so I don't use the NASM OPT model. I don't necessarily, I don't have a huge issue with it but they teach stabilization at the bottom. And I work with seniors and that doesn't work for me because a lot of these seniors have muscles that are completely atrophied and they don't know how to engage a muscle yet. So for me, I rather actually put them on a machine and put them with really light weight, but allow them to understand, okay, when I'm pushing out, these are the muscles I'm engaging, right? When I'm squatting, these are the muscles I'm engaging. And this is after assessments. This is after body weight stuff. It's sort of my second step is to make sure that they understand what muscle is firing when they're doing an exercise. And for the stabilization, it's just, it, it doesn't work that way. There's too much going on. There's too, there's, there's too much going to the brain, too many afferent and efferent neurons right away, uh, at least that I find with my seniors. So I just, I feel like it's, you know, we can't just be dyed in the wool. Somebody says it who has credentials and then we believe it. We have to test these things out on our own and, and sometimes, you know, push whatever the, the, the limits are, even if it's taboo. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. The, the most important question is why. And the, the moment you stop asking that question, you stop learning, you stop understanding. So, and then also the, the whole push to stability. I mean, that's been around for a little while now, but it's, it's amazing that everyone is all about bracing, brace, brace, brace. You got to be stable. Well, <coughs> excuse me. That's great. If you're a power lifter about to squat 200 pounds on your shoulders, you better be stable there. But if your grandma who has to go down and, and reach in to get her laundry load out of a, a dryer or front loading or has to bend on top of a top loading dryer and lift things out of it, the, you need to be dynamically stable. We need to be able to move in three-dimensional space, stop and come back or stop and go somewhere else. We, the spine is not one bone. We're not trying to wrap everything around one solid object. The spine is 24 segments that are meant to move in different directions. So dynamic stability is the place where very few people are talking about right now. It's all about static stability. How, how long can you hold a plank? You know, how, how, what can you do in these different plank positions? When in fact, really, I would much rather see grandpa on both feet and taking a rubber band, and I want to see you reach down toward the ground or reach up over your head, and or can you just hold on to it and walk around with a little resistance? Can I put the band around your hips and have you just march in place with the band off to the side or in front of you or behind you? Let's just start to kind of wake up the muscles that need to keep you on both feet, right? So that's that's kind of where I go. Yeah, the whole stability push. Is, is like reading a book, but only reading the odd pages. You're missing half the story. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and to have a, you know, to have sort of a training model in which you don't even know what the client is yet or the client's goals seems odd to me because you, you, you can't really deal with everything the same way. Now, insofar as having an assessment and having a conversation before the training sessions start, yeah, okay, that's it. But after that, I mean, it's all, it's a blank page because- People are different. Goals are different. You you never know what you're dealing with, and I think not not having that mentality, you're 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 eventually going to run into a problem where you're going to see, well, you know, this doesn't work for them, and it's going to be an eye opener, and then you're going to have to shift how you do things anyway. So you might as well 
treat it as a blank page now and know that each client is different and you can't just have a blanket program. True, true. I mean, there will be trainers that just have a blanket program and I would say 60% of their clients and being generous, 60% will really benefit from that program if it's worth its weight and gold, right? It's if they have the basics of human movement in it. But then there, what about that other 40% that, oh, this bothers my back, I can't do this, or, or they get injured because these programs were not developed for their particular ability to move and where they are in space. Well, if, if you're a trainer, you've just got to be wondering, well, am I okay with that? with just being somewhat successful. And for me, I prefer to create individualized programs based on the person and their experiences in life and their goals that they want to achieve. And because of that, that that 60% goes up a lot higher. With the current state of fitness and Instagram and all of these other things, are you glass half full that things are going to turn around and be maybe more of what we were talking about? Or do you think that this is just an uphill battle and too much disinformation is being spread. You know, I, I am a typically very optimistic when it comes to everything. I look at life, uh, it, whether it's half full or half empty, I'm just grateful to have a cup, right? But most of the time, I really look forward to when it's, when it's half full. But honestly, Steve, I just got to say, I, when it comes to this topic, I, I do not really feel like there is a bright light in our future. We are, think of this, what is the, the obesity rate or the, the overweight percentage of Americans currently? Dude, have you seen it lately? It's going up. I don't know. I thought it was, I thought it was like, like 70% or something. I thought it was yeah. something around there. Yeah. So 70% of our nation is overweight. And at one point in time, they delineated between those that are overweight and those that are more and considered obese. Mm -hmm. And it used to be that there were more people that were overweight than there were obese, but it wasn't long ago with that switched over. There are now more obese people than there are that are just simply overweight. And we have been doing personal training now for 30 years since the late eighties, nineties is really when personal training came about fitness clubs, Jack Lane opened one back in the 30s, but really the health clubs started to come around in the 80s. So for about 40 years now, we have fitness clubs and personal trainers, and we are more overweight and obese than any other time in history. So it's not working, is my point here. No one has really come to the forefront to say, I will lead the charge on, the, on, on this fight against the disease of obesity because it is a disease. It's a pandemic. I mean, we're dealing with one right now, but we've been dealing with the other for the past 30 or 40 years. And unfortunately, how many of the people that are in that obese category actually pursue fitness and go to health clubs or or hire a personal trainer? You ask most personal trainers, how many of their clients are, are morbidly or clinically obese? And they, out of their 20 clients that they have, or their 10 clients, you might, you might just find that one of, one of their clients may fall into that category. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Most of my clients were, some of my clients were in much better shape than even I was. And they just had the money and the time to uh, have a personal trainer to, to continue to keep their healthy lifestyle up. So it is a problem. We have to make sure that the general population has the motivation and the information to do these things properly. And I, like you, and maybe not, I'm always glass half full, Maybe not in this case, but I do think it just starts one trend, one fire starter, a, a Tom Brady type person who to say, I'm just going to work with bands and mobility. I'm going to be 45 and still winning Super Bowls. And then these yeah. trends catch on and people go, you know what? I mean, I don't necessarily need to look like Arnold Schwarzenegger if I can be healthy like Tom Brady and have a little bit less muscle tone, but understand my body. And I, I think that does play. That's another whole conversation, but I think there is like a again, this is well out of my realm of expertise, like a body dysmorphia thing that a lot of training is specifically for vanity. It's really not. And it's yeah. masquer- it's masquerading as strength. People say that they're lifting for, for strength. But really, if you were to, if you were to somehow uh, un- like separate the two and say, you can be, we can find a way for you to train, but you're only going to be 125 pounds. You're a six foot guy. You're going to be 125 pounds. You're going to have no muscle tone, but I'll, I'll make sure that you can bench 550 pounds. They really wouldn't be interested. 
if I said the opposite, I said, you can be, you know, six foot one, 215 pounds. You can only bench 115 pounds, but I can make your pecs look like Arnold Schwarzenegger's sign me up. So I, I think it's all masquerading as vanity. And that's, that's going to be a key moving forward is to say, you know, this, this, you're, you're, you're only getting, uh, uh, uglier and older. We need to keep our bodies together. We need the more of a Tom Brady approach. Yeah. And the, the, the real component is the, the food that is available to the average American. So the day that whole organic foods are as inexpensive as a happy meal, that, that's when we'll start turning things around. Sure. So it's, it's not exercise and it's not information. We can look online in, in a matter of seconds or, or microseconds to find out what the proper diet should be and what the proper exercises for the average person should be. So it's not for lack of information. Uh, it's, it's, and, or nor opportunity. So it's, it's more about changing the culture. And uh, unfortunately, the way that our society is lined up is that the profits are made off of the, the poor quality foods. But if we could find a way for the capitalist kind of corporations to see that it would actually pay much greater profit, create better profit margins by having whole organic foods as the staple for the average person. Ah, oh, that'd be something else. I couldn't agree more. There's a, you know, there's a consumerism issue. I do think there is an avenue for people to do that. And it's, it's in corporations where you provide, let's say a tiered health program. People already do this, right? Let me just, I think Johnson and Johnson is doing it, but I, I could be uh, misspoken here where they take your body fat percentage and they find out if you're smoking or not. And they find out all of these things. And then your health insurance is tiered off of that thing. So everybody gets equal health insurance, but how much you're paying for your health insurance, I'm just going to make up percentages here. 5% of my salary, 10% of my salary, 15% of my salary is based off of my current health. So, you know, I'm a sticks and carrots guy. I don't think people just do things to do things. They need incentives or disincentives. And if that's the incentive or disincentive we have to give to say, you know, corporations, your people by not calling out sick, by not having to be home with their kids, by not being stressed, they're going to be better employees. And you're going to give them in the incentive to pay less on their health insurance. Well, here, here's you go. Here you go. And I think maybe that that's how we move forward in the future. Well, that would be nice. That totally would be nice. I, I would, I would be uh, on the optimistic side and more so if, if that were the case, but as it stands now, our, our customer base is only 30% of this nation. Yeah. Well, Rocky, I hope uh, we helped at least somebody today uh, see, see the light. And um, uh, I'm sure I'll have you on another podcast down the road, but let's let everyone know where they can find uh, everything, Rocky, from your content, or if maybe a personal trainer who listened to this found that they want to reach out to you directly and they have a question. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I present for the the National Strength Conditioning Association and a lot of their state and national clinics, as well as perform better. So they can go to those organizations. But Instagram, Rocky, R-O-C-K-Y underscore Snyder. That's S-N-Y-D-E-R. You can follow me on Instagram, uh, rockysnyder.com website or rockysfitnesscenter.com are all places you could check out. I'm on LinkedIn as well and uh, most social media as well. And, and I love talking shop. So if there's any trainers out there that are interested in or have questions, they're, they're welcome to contact me for sure. My guest today has been Rocky Snyder. Rocky, thanks for joining the Truly Fit Podcast. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for joining us on the Truly Fit Podcast. Please subscribe, rate, and review on your listening platform. And feel free to email us. We'd love to hear from you. Social at trulyfit.app. Thanks again.